Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, what a delight to be with you this morning. Uh, my goodness, Karen and I are just thrilled to be back with you. Uh, thank you so much for allowing us some weeks of rest and away time. And uh, now we're back, and we're really glad for that. And uh, what a great song, right? What a great song as we open God's Word. So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. Uh, we're doing a study through the latter chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts, we've been watching the Spirit of God at work in and through God's people as he uh, takes the gospel to the world. We've been watching uh, the gospel advancing. Uh, thank you, Pastor Nate, uh, emphasizing that a couple weeks ago in uh, Acts 16. Then we've been uh, taking a look at how the, the gospel, engaging with others with the gospel. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for taking us a couple weeks ago in Acts 17. Um, and then we've been also taking a look last Sunday. Pastor Robbie just took you so well through beginning of chapter 18 and being a fearing less people. Um, and then uh, kind of all of this, as we began, uh, we've been Point, we pointed out how all of this, and we'll see again in the text today, is about strengthening and encouraging. It's about strengthening and encouraging uh, God's people. And I just want to note this, that uh, advancing and engaging with and fearing less and strengthening and encouraging, those are results. Those are fruit. Those are outcomes. Uh, those are the fruit on the tree of the gospel at work in people's lives, and I love results. Uh, we're a culture that loves results. Uh, results are marvelous because they can be measured. They can be seen. They can even be graphed at times. And uh, results are a wonderful thing. In fact, uh, results are biblical. Uh, Old Testament, I mean, God tells us not just that he is, God tells us who he is and what he did. He tells us what he did with who he did it with. He tells us the results of what's taking place of people he's working with. Our, uh, Yahweh, an unseen, unmeasurable God, uh, shows himself through works. And so uh, results are not a bad thing at all. By the way, New Testament, we saw that in Matthew when uh, Matthew told us the results of Jesus turning lives inside out and upside down. Uh, Jesus even preached results. Matthew 7, 17 uh, talked about how the healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit uh, with that. Uh, Luke here, and the human author of the book of Acts, he's been speaking of, of results of the Spirit of God at work in and through God's people. And so results are not wrong, but I'll say it this way, don't stare at them. In fact, let me kind of put a statement up on the screen here. We'll, we'll grab a hold of Lord Willing at the end of our time today. Results are to be glanced at, not stared at. 
Results are to be glanced at, not stared at. Hey, take a look at the fruit, but don't get stuck on it. Okay? Uh, we'll talk about that. Just hold that thought. Uh, why am I mentioning and talking about results here this morning? Uh, the reason is, is because our text today is not about results. It's not about the results of ministry. It's about the what of ministry. It's about the what of life and ministry. Uh, this is kind of in our whole series so much even after this is results fruit on the tree. Uh, but today I just want for you to understand, I think today is critically important because of understanding the what of life and ministry, and we're going to see that here as we move along. Uh, what is a church? Um, whatever our name is going to be. By the way, we're getting there. We're getting there. Whatever our name is going to be, what is a church? What would we want to be known as? What would you want to be said of us as to what they are about? I think being able to say that, uh, hey, they are a strengthened and encouraged people. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Or they are in advancing the gospel people in their own lives and in the lives of others. That would be really awesome. That would be marvelous. Or they are in increasingly engaging with others people or a fearing less people. I'd love those kind of results, those kind of fruits to be said of us. But more than any of those kind of results fruit, the thing I would love more than anything to be said of us, and I yearn for it, would be that there, there's a people mighty in the scriptures. There is a people that is mighty in the scriptures. In fact, let me put up another statement. We'll hold it there. I'll re reference it. This is kind of a big one for today. We'll bring it in at the end as well. Scripture first, scripture most. Scripture first, scripture most. I think that might just define what a mighty in the scriptures person or people look like. I yearn for that to be the case. And by the way, if that somehow sounds like that might be a bit braggadocious or a bit uh, impossible, it's a statement that's used in our text today. And so let's go find it and let's go grab a hold of it and let's take a look at it. So we're in the last 11 verses of Acts 18 here this morning, but I'd like to pick up some important information that uh, Pastor Robert already took you through last week in 18 that kind of that has important for where we're going in the latter half of the chapter today, okay? So uh, let's go at verse 1, chapter 18, and, and uh, a few pieces of information. It begins with saying this, after this, Paul left where? Athens. Uh, so after some awesome opportunity to address the uh, aris uh, aristocratic council uh, prior to it in chapter 17 in Athens with the gospel, Paul then, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to where? Corinth. Corinth. Now, all this, uh, let's put a map up. Let's put a map up here. And uh, we have this map of the whole Mediterranean Sea area and I just wanted to kind of make a comment about going back in, in my days uh, as a lay person, as a, as a kid in Sunday school and so forth. As I go back and I remember uh, times where, whether it was taught in church, whether it was the pastor, or whether it was even in seminary or in children's ministry, and we're talking through Acts and all the maps and stuff going along, uh, I, I might uh, illustrate 
what, for me, the way I work, uh, I'm very visual, I'm very verbal learner, and I might just illustrate what all of this ended up looking like for me. Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> uh, anybody with me on that? You know, and so here's, seriously, here's how I oftentimes walked away when we were teaching through acts or these kinds of things. It was like this, whether it was stated or unstated. It was kind of this idea that, hey, if you can, by the time we're done with this, if you can draw the map or make some main points, or you can say some of the, the, the three ministry trips that kind of went like that, by the way, that's all I remember. If, if, if you can remember that, you're spiritual, right? Oh, and by the way, if you can put a couple cities on the map, like we just read Athens or Corinth, we're going to come to Ephesus here in a little bit, if you could even mark those, then man, you were really spiritual, right? Hey, I just want to tell you, both as an adult and when I was a kid, I am so out with that kind of thinking. That's legalism, in so many ways that how we think and uh, showing the results, if you want to say, of spiritual life with the Lord. Is it important? Sure, it's important. It has some application to it. And, and, but I'm going to tell you, when I went through this, I just remember going through this every time and coming out of it just confused and having a sense of irrelevance on, well, so what does all of this mapism uh, uh, mean? If you know the map, big deal. I just want to let us know this is not about the maps. You know what good people said? But I am going to use maps, as I already have used maps. Because it did happen on this earth. And it was with real people in real cities in real places. And so, I, by the way, I don't use cartoon maps. I use satellite maps to help still that in us. That this is real people, real places on the earth that we live in here. So because it's about people and not about maps... Let's gray the map out, and I want to here put some people up for us here that we're going to meet here in just a minute. So here's five of the six people we're going to meet today. First, Paul. You've heard of Paul, probably. <laughs> Paul, Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees, Philippians chapter 3. Paul was a spiritual hero, giant for the Lord. We have Paul. Um, he was an apostle to the Gentiles. Now we have Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila here in just a minute. They're Jewish, uh, but uh, we're going to read here. Uh, they're Jewish having lived in Italy and Rome. Jewish Italian, how cool is that? And by the way, they're a lay couple. Let me say that one more time. They are a lay couple, not a vocational ministry couple. And they're a ministry team. It's super cool. Aquila and Priscilla, we're going to see them. Silas, we're going to see him just a little bit. We've already met him earlier. Silas is Jewish. He's a single guy from everything that we know. He was a leader in the church in Jerusalem earlier when Paul was uh, and, uh, beginning his second ministry trip. He grabbed Silas. Paul and Barnabas kind of had a little fuss together and then uh, they, they went separate ways and, and he took Silas with him. And Silas was a, a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, the text also said that uh, kind of his gifting was he was a prophet. Silas. Then a the fifth one, Timothy. 
Timothy, a Jew, had a Jewish mom who knew the Lord and a Greek father who we don't know if he knew the Lord. Very well could have grown up in a, uh, a home with, with a dad who did not know Christ. He grew up in Lystra over in Turkey. I'm putting these people kind of in the area where they were raised most of their life they lived. Uh, Timothy's mom and his grandmother, we know in scriptures, taught him the scriptures. Let me say that again, moms, grandmas. Timothy was taught the scriptures by his mom and his grandmother. Cool is that. Paul notes that in other passages of scripture. And he's a young single adult. And he's timid. Uh, I'm just going to say we already have five people up here who are very unique and different. Paul, I would not say Paul was timid. Timothy was. Uh, We have singles. We have uh, older singles, younger singles up on the screen. We have a lay couple on the screen. Just keep all that in mind as we go through this and what's happening here. Well, with that, let's uh, grab some more information. Uh, Chapter 18. Uh, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. They had to hightail it out of Rome. They knew persecution, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. How cool is that? The ministry dude connects with this lay couple, dude and dudette, and hangs out with them. And by the way, they do work together. They do tent making together. And we get the idea he's literally probably staying with them in this. It's very cool. Uh, They worked as tent makers, verse 4, and he reasoned, Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. By the way, if you were here yesterday at the Saturday Forum, I'm telling you folks, Please just put the Saturday forums on your mind. Um, it, it, right now, when I read, everyone who was there yesterday, and I read right here in the scriptures where it said, and they reasoned with the Jews in the synagogues, you now have a renewed understanding of what it might have looked like to reason this Old Testament scriptures with someone who knew the Old Testament scriptures. Is that true, those of you who were here? Man, I'm telling you, that was a home run. And you have an insight on that. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, and when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul, look at this, Paul was occupied with the word. Don't you love that? So here Paul, well, what's the describing factor? The, the, the word carries this idea, Paul was absorbed with the word. What's the thing that Paul was occupied with? What's the thing that Paul was absorbed with? There's only one thing, not ministry methodology, not not strategy for hitting the world, not all kinds of the conversations that could take place for a ministry person. The thing that it talks about is Paul is occupied, he's absorbed with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Go over to verse 11. And he stayed a year and six months, Paul did, doing what? Teaching what? Absorbed with teaching the word of God. Uh, This is the pattern. This is the practice of Paul. 
Paul was consumed with the word of God. Let's just kind of clarify. What would have been the word of God at that time? Answer, Old Testament and what's happened with Christ and the good news of Jesus. By the way, we have all of it now. And Paul is occupied with it. He's absorbed it. Think of a sponge. It's just like you set a sponge in water and just... That's the thing that he's absorbed with. And so when you go over and you grab that sponge and you squeeze it out, what comes out? What comes out is what has been absorbed in. And Paul is absorbed in the word of God. And that's the thing that he teaches. The pattern. Let me just show, turn to chapter 15, verse 35, just to show you this. Chapter 15, verse 35. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. Look at chapter 16, verse 32. 16, verse 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Look at chapter 17, verse 2. They received the word from Paul and Silas with eagerness. Oh, and by the way, and what did they do as a result? Examining the scriptures daily. Look at chapter 18, verse 5 that I just read. Paul was uh, occupied with the word, absorbed in it. Uh, Verse 11, chapter 18, he stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God. By the way, looking ahead at the end of our text today, verse 18, chapter 18, Apollos showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Oh, look at chapter 19, verse 10. We're we're moving into next Sunday. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and and Greeks. Look at verse 20 in chapter 19. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, and then the last one, chapter 20, verse 38. And now I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I think we could say, what was Paul's practice? Scripture first, scripture most. That was it. One ministry tool. One ministry tool. Scripture first, scripture most. So let's take all of that and let's go to the latter half of 18. Let's flesh out these verses. Verse 18. After this, Paul. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers, set sail for Syria. He's heading over uh, west. He's heading back to Antioch, Syria, where he always, kind of his home church where he began. And with him, he took Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencrea, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. It's interesting, we have no idea what that's all about. We don't know whether it was a Nazarite vow or just a Jewish, some kind of Jewish vow. 
We don't know if he's taking this personal vow having to do with kind of dedicating the ministry that's been done as he's heading back to his, if you will, his home church. We don't know if that's a a, a vow that he's kind of doing unto the Lord, preparing him to come back uh, to his home church. We don't know if that's the whole thing. We don't know if it's something completely different. But I'm going to tell you this. As we do ministry, your personal ministry life with the Lord has to be on game. Doesn't mean perfect, goodness sakes. If it was perfect, no one would be doing ministry, right? But at the same time, I just want to stop for a moment. That's a sentence that we could just run by, and there's a personal thing that's happening here in his own life. And then verse 19, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea, which is down south of Jerusalem, he he went up and greeted the church, up going north but by altitude. He went up to likely the church in Jerusalem, then went down to Antioch, again altitude, back down, he's headed up north into Antioch. Uh, and That's the, the, the trip that he's taken. Let, let me summarize this. Paul, with Priscilla and Aquila, they head, uh, they head east. I'm sorry, I think I said west earlier. They head east. Uh, it's possible, it's likely, that Paul left Silas and Timothy in Corinth. So Corinth and Athens are in the big circle area over there. They then head over to Ephesus where the small circle is. They're they're over there. Paul then, after this period of time, this year and a half plus period of time, he then heads back home and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there. By the way, do you see that he's leaving people behind there to equip the saints? And he's leaving them, he's heading home with it all, And uh, we've seen this pattern. It's been scripture first, scripture most. Aquila and Priscilla are left in Ephesus, verse 23, after spending some time there uh, and back home. He departed, went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. By the way, it's so interesting to me, and I love the fact of what's going on. He just finished his ministry trip number two, and it actually went right into ministry trip number three. No big fanfare. You know, sometimes we can get uh, uh, quite absorbed in fanfare of what we've accomplished. And I love the fact that it's almost like hard to get here. That Paul finishes his ministry trip number two and starts his ministry trip number three. We don't even know the timing. We don't even know when and how long of separation of time that was. He's just like, ministry. I'm just doing ministry. And it's like, whether it's here, whether it's there, I'm just doing ministry. So, Uh, uh, trip two ends, trip three uh, begins here. And note the last statement. Trip three is strengthening all the disciples. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Strengthening the disciples. He's not promoting his own fame. And listen, I I just want to say what I'm about to say does not mean this is wrong and I'm not uh, smack talking others who do this, but I do want to say this. He's not going on a book tour. He's not going on a conference speaking tour. He's not even leading evangelism revivals. He's going back to strengthen the saints. He's going back to equip the saints and to help them grow in their relationship and depth with the Lord. 
an article I read just this week about a film apparently that's coming out, uh, kind of a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, apparently. It's about the Iranian awakening. I never knew this. Apparently, people in Iran are coming to Christ like crazy. It was said in the film, they're talking to one of the ministry leaders, and and listen to what they say. Because they said in it, we're raising disciples, not converts. Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. And then listen to this sentence. He says, disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. I love that. I love that statement. Disciples come to a place where they understand the depth and the magnitude and the mightiness of the word of God, and this is the thing. This is the thing that they absorb. This is the thing that they go after. Love that. Verse 24 and 25. Now, a Jew named Apollos. It's interesting, we don't even know when in the time frame of the second, third ministry trip here, at least at this point, when this is happening, but a new person is brought on. Now, a Jew named Apollos, look at this, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. And look at your text competent in the scriptures. King James Version has it right. The word is dunitas. Dunitas, competent. It's trying to get an idea in English. Dunitas has this sense of power behind it. I think it's rightfully saying, hey, you want to have a thing that describes Apollos? Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. And at that time, that was mighty in the Old Testament. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Some comments here. He's a Jewish Egyptian. Uh, We could say he's a North African from Alexandria. Alexandria was known as a brainiac center of the universe. It had Philo there. It had these incredible individuals of philosophy, of intellect. Alexandria, I read, had a library in that day. The largest library in the known world with some 400,000 volumes in it in that day. We, We oftentimes think these people know nothing. Hey, this dude... He was smart. That's what an unsmart guy would say. He's just smart. He's got it. And we clearly see that. He's been instructed. He he is eloquent. I mean, the dude can teach. He can preach. He understands the scriptures. Those of you who were here yesterday, that's what I was talking about. Think Brent Oakland. 
And all the years of study and being able to go to the Old Testament and be able to find things out of the Old Testament, you got insight into what an Apollos kind of guy looked like right there. And in this, this is a guy who is, is in North Africa. I'm telling you, just even the diversity of individuals that are involved on these, named in this chapter. There are ages, there are stages, the places they are from, the colors of their skin. So cool. Love it. And this guy is mighty in the scriptures. By the way, not competent or mighty in his own intellect. Not mighty in his debate methodology. Not mighty in his academics. Not mighty in his fame. Not mighty in his career. Not mighty in his religiosity. Not mighty in mapping out trips. Mighty in the scriptures. Oh, to have God's word say that of us. It's interesting what we value as mighty today. Some examples. That Bob, wow, he is mighty fine with a golf club. Music. Cars with people, with the ladies computers, with construction, with farming, with business, with money. Wow, that, that Betty, she is mighty fine with schooling. She is mighty fine with her connections. She's mighty fine with her clothing, with her career. She's mighty fine with serving or caring with her looks, with her kids, with her cats. <laughs> that ministry person, he, she, sure is mighty fine with his teaching, with the music, Sorry. <laughs> that ministry person is mighty fine with students or kids or counseling or missions or discipling or caring or vision. And then there's Apollos. He's eloquent, he's passionate, he can teach. But of anything that's stated here, He is mighty in the scriptures. Can't go by that. What if it was that church behind the at-home superstore? It has property that leads out to Rockville Road still waiting for the curb cut approval. standout thing about those people back there? Man, they are mighty in the scriptures. What if that? They're big about the Bible there. Those people, whether I'm there with them or whether I'm out with them, it's like scripture first, scripture most. They love it. Oh God, that in us, I pray. Verse 26. Knowing all of that, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Grab a hold of what's going on here, real quick. 
So it's very likely that Apollos could have been up in Israel during the time when John the baptizer and Jesus was around even in the early years because of the way the text is termed here. I think he clearly knew what John was teaching and he, and he even knew some of who Jesus was. But it's very likely that he was not around through the full end of the story of Christ. And so what he is doing in Ephesus, this intellectual giant, this guy who, was, uh, uh, who had, and I say intellectual giant in the scriptures, was someone who's teaching the scriptures, and yet all of a sudden, this lay couple, hear me again, this lay couple who had been taught by Paul, is hearing him teach in the synagogue, and they're like, oh man, I think that is awesome, that is good, but, but he doesn't know the rest of the story. He doesn't know the full, complete details of what's going on. And so what do they do? They stand up in the middle of the synagogue and go, heresy! No. They, can we grab a lunch together? Can we get together for a little while? And this couple, man and woman, that is a lay person, people, couple, regular folk, sit down with this guy from Alexandria and say, can we fill you in on some more info? And he's like, no, I am too competent in the scriptures to hear from you. That's not what's going on. He is a learner. And he willingly, delightfully allows a lay couple who knows things of the unfolding of the gospel news, understand, they're in transition time, they don't have the New Testament, they are living the New Testament. And they sit down and they help this uh, 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 mighty in the scriptures man with more understanding of the scriptures. I am telling you folks, this is so cool to me. This is the kind of thing of mutual ministry. Can I say, this is what should be happening in small groups. Where it's not the person in the room that has the most knowledge of things transcends their dynamic information down to everybody and all the little peons. It is mutual ministry together. And it is scripture first, scripture most. Saturated with scripture. Oh man, time. Let's finish. Verse 27, 28. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, this is uh, Apollos, the brothers encouraged him, wrote the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Know this, he took what the lay couple understood from Paul, helped him so that he could then go and be a more effective teacher and discipler for Christ. 28. For he powerfully, if you will, dunatos sense of the word, refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Hey, today's not a map day, but let me try and wrap this up, and let me wrap it around a tree. Let me wrap this up, number one, by saying this. There is a mutual ministry of the word going on here in chapter 18. 
and it is all these folk that are so uniquely different and diverse. They are interacting with one another. Paul is having impact on Silas and Timothy. Paul, uh, 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 I don't even know if Paul knew Apollos at this time. And yet, uh, Paul has had impact on Aquila and Priscilla. Timothy and Silas are teammates, uh, most likely left behind. And and Silas has already been a a ministry teammate with Paul. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Paulos brings his knowledge from the the, the epicenter of of kind of knowledge uh, in Alexandria. He brings it up over here and into Ephesus and Priscilla and Aquila, a lay couple help. This is mutual ministry. This is what happens when God's people will interact with each other about life and ministry and where scripture is poured in. Mutual ministry. Now let me wrap it all around a tree and close it out. John 15, our abiding illustration. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you've been around, you know what I'm talking about. You use it with a tree. We have trees in the Midwest, not so much vines. So a tree, and so when a person comes to Christ, grafted into the tree, and can I picture it? Be a tree hugger. The, the hugger of Christ is we're gripped on. Now, I'd like for you to right now, if you can, picture, it's, by the way, most trees don't have like one branch. They have a whole bunch of them. So picture all of us, those who are in Christ, grabbing a hold, and they're all around, stacked up all over the place. And so here you are, here I am, grabbing a hold of Christ. The fruit happens here, right? The fruit's out there. We have a tendency to stare at the fruit. And when we stare at the fruit, this gets weaker. And when we hang there, and churches do this, people do this, they just look at the fruit, and they glory in the fruit. Look at those numbers. Wow. Look at at the things that I've accomplished in my family. Our kids know the Lord because of us. And we get arrogant when we start staring and hanging on that. Listen, we weren't designed to be like this. We're designed to take some glances because the fruit tells the story of what's happening here. And periodically take a look at what's going on in your life and what's happening in your life because that's a telltale of what's going on here. But I want to tell you, the real thing is happening right here. And this is where don't glance at the fruit, stare right here. And by the way, if I can describe it, I think out of the text, what was Apollos? What was Paul? Paul were the kind of guys who were so enamored with the word of God because the word of God is what tells us about God. And they were hugging here, and it was scripture first, scripture most. It was just going here. So Doug, are you saying not that, not that? No, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying scripture first, scripture most. But here's what happens most nowadays. It's so interesting to me in some conversations with things. It's kind of like the conversation almost has this way among Christians on getting of how how the scriptures can't speak into something. 
hold on, hold on. I don't even want to argue that whole issue right now. That's not even the point of it. But small groups this week, here's two verses for you to spend some time with. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Verse 4, in the word of God. And here's my question. Do you believe that? Because that's primary. Well, I believe that God's word is, is pertinent to a lot of things. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying you could take everything away, everything away. And if you only had this, this is everything we need for life and godliness. Like, I am really thankful for chocolate chip cookies. That was one of the greatest inventions in all of life, especially warm out of the oven. Oh, glory. But I'm serious. Do you believe 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4? He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I'm driving that home, not saying that nothing else can be, have, have, can be talked about, nothing else can be. I'm just saying, it's, Scripture talks about this, Scripture first, Scripture most. And second passage is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, that the man of God, that the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And yet in our day, it seems to be a lot of times that it's more scripture last, scripture least. And I just want to drive home today. Let's be like Apollos. Let's be men and women who are like Apollos. And by the way, so on the tree, so what's going on when someone's having a, a situation take place? Uh, hey, what about the others? Like, hey, let's talk scripture. And we're like, bing, let's do that. Well, I don't know scripture. Hey, start with narrative. You most likely know the story of Joseph, sold by his brothers, slave in Egypt. I'm telling you, there is so much truth in that for almost every aspect of life. Hey, go to Job, take a look at that. Hey, go to uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, take a look at that. And Solomon trying to figure out, man, that dude was weird, trying to figure out stuff what's going on in life. Go to the Gospels, bring the narrative in, just talk it and interact with it and make it first, make it most. Let's grow in that. Let's grow in that. In your home, is scripture coming to the forefront? Are your kids hearing biblical principles even if they don't have to know the verse? Help one another. Draw it out. Scripture first, scripture most. That's a people mighty in the scripture. More of that in us. More of that in us. And so God, we thank you so much for the fact that you gave us your word. You uh, gave us your word so that we can know about you. Romans 1 clearly tells us that we can look around and see the things and, and have a, a general knowledge of you, but it is in the revealing through the word of God that we know you intimately and in detail. 
Father, help us to grow in our passion for the word. Help us, Father, to grow in our discipline in the word, to read it, to study it, to speak it, to work it, to interact with it, to open the conversation in our homes, to simply ask the question verbally or even within our mind, what might scripture have to say about this thing right now? God, more of that in us. May we not be a scripture least, scripture last people. May like Paul and Timothy and Silas and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, might we be men and women boys and girls who have a high view of your word. It is your words to us and for us. And may we value it as gold and be utterly dependent upon it. Spirit of God, help us to understand, live, and apply the word of God. In Christ's name I pray, amen.